You're listening to the e-commerce marketing show presented by Privy. Hey, it's Dave. Thanks for downloading this episode of the e-commerce marketing show. I'm super excited to do this show and we have an amazing first episode for you. I called up Kurt Elster. He is the host of an amazing podcast called the Unofficial Shopify Podcast, which has been downloaded over a million times over the last five years. He's really become the foremost expert in Shopify and e-commerce marketing. He also runs a consulting business called EtherCycle and they help Shopify store owners discover hidden profits in their website. I picked this episode as the first one because we got deep and tactical. I said to Kurt, hey, look, I'm a new CMO in this space. School me. What do I need to know about e-commerce marketing? We talk about the do's and don'ts of if you started a Shopify store right now in 2020, what are the do's and don'ts? Do's and don'ts of email, do's and don'ts of SMS, do's and don'ts of setting up your store, and just some thoughts on what you should be doing in general, including the biggest mistakes that most e-commerce brands make in the early days. Perfect first episode to start the show. I'm super excited. This is the first of many to come. So here it is. This is my conversation with Kurt Elster. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us here on the e-commerce marketing show. I'm Dave Gerhart, Chief Marketing Officer at Privy, which still sounds weird to say. And I'm, today I'm joined by Kurt Elster. Kurt, I don't want to blow you up, but I'm going to blow you up, okay? I think Kurt's one of the smartest people out there when it comes to e-commerce and Shopify. He was one of the first Shopify experts, which proves that the advantage goes to the early movers for sure. He's the host of the unofficial Shopify podcast, which has been downloaded over a million times in the last five years. He also runs EtherCycle, his consulting business where he helps Shopify store owners discover hidden profits in their websites. Kurt, Nice to finally connect with you and thanks for coming on our new show. Thanks for having me. That was the finest intro I've ever had. You know, I, I did a good job pulling from your website and, <laughs> and some other places. So that's the, I think that's the trick that people don't realize is provide when people want to interview, help them out, shortcut their research, be like, here's a bunch of info about oh. me. It will make their life easier. And then they, you will sound that much cooler. One interesting like marketing, so I'm really interested in like marketing psychology, social psychology and how that plays into marketing. And so there's an interesting experiment that, that somebody did once where they had, they had somebody do an intro and they were basically like, before they spoke on stage, I forget who it was. So I'm not going to quote them, but I'll just use my, use an example as me. Like, so the event company, they'd be like, oh, please, I'd like to welcome up to the stage our next speaker, Dave Gerhardt. And then the other, and then they got everybody's feedback after the presentation. They were like, yeah, he was good. He was fine, whatever. Then the next time they did an event, they had like this, the guy wrote the bio, wrote his own bio. And it was a minute. And it was like, this person has helped Tony Robbins and this person and this person, this person. And it's so important to pre-frame yourself. And I think most marketers just miss that. Like write your own bio, give it to people. They're going to do a better job introducing them. If you left me to my own vices right there, I don't know if I would have done a good job. So if you, this is one of the things I learned early on that helped me and also occasionally got me called a narcissist. If you don't toot your own horn, no one else will. Like you can't sit around and expect people to talk you up. If they don't know, you have no idea what to do. You have to help totally. them along. So you need to be your own cheerleader at times. And like in the cut, like that feels very awkward at first because we are used to dinner party conversation. You don't talk about money. You don't talk about politics. You don't just start bragging about yourself. Well, I suppose some people do, but it's not the most fun thing, but it's all based on context. 
So in the context of, okay, at a conference, why should I listen to this person? Why should I give them my full attention? It is not on the audience to give you the benefit of the doubt. It's up to you to convince them. And that's what I think you just demonstrated. Yeah. And, and it's actually, if you go back and watch, one of my favorite things to do is go, Steve Jobs, I think was the greatest like public presenter of unveiling products ever, right? And oh, phenomenal he, pitch man, hype man. If, if you go, go back and watch, if you're listening to this, go back and watch, go to YouTube and type in Steve Jobs iPhone keynote. And what he does that's so smart is he basically throughout that presentation, he's writing the headlines for the audience. And so guess what everyone's going to do? They're going to share. People are lazy. They're just going to grab whatever's in that deck. And so there's a great book called The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs by Carmine Gallo. And in that book, he talks about how Steve Jobs would basically write the press headlines for the press in the press release headline. And then the press would just take those and run with that. So like Apple releases the thinnest, most beautiful MacBook ever. And then most press people will just take that and use it. And that's exactly what we're, we're talking about right now. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm okay, just a so first, Steve Jobs. Look, you and I don't know each other, but I want to thank you on this show because this is, after taking this new job here at Privy, I've spent the last basically month or two binge listening to your show. And it's been an amazing help in, in helping me get up to speed. I've spent the last 10 years in B2B, some things that are similar, a lot of things that are different. And, and your show has helped me. So me commuting, walking, doing laundry, cleaning the house, working out. You've been in my ears for that time. And, you know, specific, just to plug your show for a second, I would go back and listen to, I think the, the episode that you did with Jeremy from Messenger Mastermind was a great oh, one. Oh, that was very good. Super, I, I, the super, super tactical and uh, Drew Sanaki, those two like oh, help, I like help him me get lot. up to speed. Both those guys, if you meet them at a conference, they're just absolutely wonderful, super nice people. I was, it's funny, bring that, I was texting with, with Drew Sanaki earlier today. Those two episodes, two hours of e-commerce, like go get your MBA in e-commerce by listening to this. So look, the reason I wanted to have you on this podcast is as much as I would love to go back and tell your story and, and we'll do that sometime and, and talk about the brand you've built for yourself. What I, this is actually selfish and I want to interview you and I want you to coach me because I'm a new CMO in this space. And so I want to talk about like, if you were starting a new e-commerce business and had to coach me, what would you do? What's the playbook? Obviously assuming that I have like, let's get the whole like product out of the way. Like assume that I've built a product that people want. Like that's, that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about marketing. I, we, I want right, to know, so we're like, assuming you've got product market fit down. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm selling, I'm Lumi and I have phone cases or whatever, right? Well, let's pick a product. So I want to talk about all of the things that I can do to promote and create my, you know, create my business, create a business, go beyond creating a store. I want to create a business that I can, you know, that is self-sustaining and I can live the life that I want <laughs> through that business. But I actually think this is good timing because you, I listened to your most recent podcast today. I think it just came out today. And you had an interesting line in there, which is like, this is around the time of the year, January, February is when you see a spike in your show downloads because everyone's trying to figure out their new year's resolution was like, they're going to, this is going to be the year they're going to start their store. And so I thought maybe you could school me. And in that we can also give some helpful tips. So maybe let's start here, which is what do most of those new Shopify store owners who their new year's resolution was to start a business? What do they get wrong? Oh, 100%. It's not prioritizing the audience. They almost fetishize everything, but the audience building, right? So it's find the product, get the logo, right? pick the perfect theme, set up the store, and then and they're like, it's got to stay behind it. This is funny with new merchants. They're like, it's got to stay behind the password. No one can see it. Nobody cares. Like if you don't, right. when you're in that early stage pre-launch, no one cares. 
that is the darkest truth of building a brand and marketing. A brand is like a golem, right? Like a clay figure. It has no life until you breathe it into it and the audience believes in it. That's what makes it real. That's what gives it power and motion. So I 100% the thing to start with is audience building. Like yeah, day I, I, one, I love- the list, the audience, that's where it's at. I love that because I think you're right, which is everybody wants to do, everybody wants to password protect that site, right? And that's a good example. But if you could only be so lucky that people found your site and wanted to get your product before you built it, the most powerful thing you can do is build up demand before something even exists because then you've already solved one problem, which is like, hey, I already have a relationship with these people. When I have my product to sell, they already know me. Like, for example, for you, right? You've been doing your podcast, you have a consulting business, like, you could easily sell products if you wanted to, because you already have an audience. And so you have people who know you, they trust you, and they're going to be willing to listen if you come to sell them something. So I love thinking about building an audience first. Why, why do you think it is that most people don't think about audience first? Well, it's the least, it's probably the, the least sexy part of it. Like that's the thing when people talk about the hustle and the grind, that's really the part you have to grind out because Like social media, when you have an audience or selling online, it creates a feedback loop. Like I post and I see a sale. Wow, amazing. That's cool. I post and I get retweets and replies. And then a new client application shows up, that kind of thing. Whereas early on, it's very strange. You're essentially just shouting into the void because you don't have an audience. You don't have followers yet, but you're playing like you are. And you just have to keep at that for days, weeks, months, and then you start to slowly get traction and you start to see the audience grow. If you use like a podcast, an example, let's say you pre, you're going to do an episode a week, you pre-record your first eight episodes and you launch them one week at a time. For our show, for week one, we had, or for month one, we had a couple hundred downloads, like 200 downloads. Month two, we had 500 downloads. Oh my gosh. Right. And now it's like, yeah, we got 30,000 downloads this month. No big deal. But I think the other mistake people make is expect, like, number one, if you build it, they will come. That's not true. Nobody's going to show up. Number two, I lost my train of thought. Well, look, I was going (laughs) to, maybe you'll come back to it, but I was going to say, like, I also think it's probably the mindset, right? If you're an entrepreneur, you're not launching a Shopify store because you love marketing, right? You're getting into a business because you have an idea for a product. And so I think it starts with most people right. think about marketing second. You know, I, I met with someone yesterday and he's building a new business, e-commerce business around men's underwear. And, you know, he's like, I didn't start, I'm not starting this business because I love marketing. Like, I think there's a need. I have a unique connection to this product and I'm going to build that. And so the marketing is secondary. So most people don't think about marketing first. Aha, but he's got, all right, if, he says, look, I love this product. I love this space. I feel passionately about it. That when we interview entrepreneurs, there are some commonalities to the successful people. Number one, it's they saw a pain or problem in their life. So maybe he's got underwear. It's like, I just want more breathable underwear. So he makes mesh underwear. I don't know. But he had a pain or problem. He said, I, could, I don't like the existing solutions. I could solve it better. Now he's going to go out there and do that and put that out into the world. That pa- he may not love marketing. And I think that's what stops people with marketing is a lot of it feels like homework. It's like, all right, you're going to write a newsletter. You're going to write a blog post. You've got to write social media posts. You, you got to do a bunch of outreach. See if anybody cares who you are. That's all writing, which very much feels like homework, doesn't it? And then, you know, early on, it's a lot of rejection. So you're getting, essentially, you're getting failing grades on your homework. So I understand why people aren't, you know, just eager to jump into it. But to use your underwear example, if he's passionate about it, He's got to, rather than like bang his head against the desk and struggle with his homework, he's got to find the things, the overlap between his passion and some form of media where he can express that. 
Maybe that's Instagram stories. Maybe that's YouTube videos. Maybe that's blog posts, whatever it is. Find like the one piece of content that you're good at and you could share your passion. And then that's the one where you're going to really succeed. Like yeah, I, I should I be blogging. That. I hate it. I, for whatever reason, I just don't like blogging. So eventually I said, I'm going to stop beating myself up about it and just not do blogging. And I'm going to focus on the podcast and I'm going to start trying to grow a YouTube channel. So do, like there's tons of people out there who will be like, here's your list and you got to do these things that now you're just going to burn yourself out. You got to find yeah, that overlap. I think, I think that's really important what you said, because the other thing is a lot of people do have that fear of a writer's block. What, what am I going to write about? And I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and marketing people, granted, not about e-commerce, but about startups and kind of more SaaS-oriented businesses. And I actually think they're missing the thing, which is like, look, it's actually easier than ever. Today, the best brands, the easiest way to build a brand today is to be likable, be trustworthy, and show yourself, right? Show your real you. Yes. Uh, people don't like marketing. And so if we're using that underwear example, if that person, if that guy doesn't know what to write about, the answer is, wait, hold on a second. You believe so passionately about this thing that you're starting a business around it. You can't come up with what you're going to talk about. Like all you have to do is be you and you just have to then find the channel. And so I think what so you, you, you start with that really, story. He needs yes. to tell his story. Tell your story. And to your point, Kurt, if you don't, if you're not a writer, maybe you're comfortable making videos. Or you can just blab on a podcast. And then by the way, if you do a podcast, you can get the audio from that. You can get a transcript from that. That can be uh-huh. emails, right? So, you know, through your podcast, a good example is I subscribe to Drew's newsletter, which is nerd marketing, something like that, nerdmarketing.com. And, yep. and if you get his emails that come in, they're all about him. It's about, it's the one time that it's okay to be selfish because he's saying, hey, look, I've gone through this experience. And so I'm going to teach you what I learned. And all he's doing is talking about what he's done. And so in that underwear example, the best way that they could be building a brand right now is by just literally sharing the story as he's building this brand. That to me is the best marketing uh-huh. content that you could come up so with. So you're early on. The thing, if you don't know what else to do, the thing to do is three simple words. Work in public. Now combine that with be yourself and suddenly life becomes much easier. It feels like homework and it's exhausting because you're trying to be someone you're not. You're trying to do something you don't like and you're not good at. So reframe it. When you picture the whole audience and that's who you write to, you, that's where you end up with this Early on, anyway, that's where you're going to put that like stilted prose, or you try and write businessy. We here at Acme Corp, like, oh God, no, don't do that. Instead, picture it like a person. I mean, some of the best content comes from someone asked me a thought-provoking question, and then I, I write them a thoughtful answer back, and then, all right, oh, I created this piece of content. Let me note that down in my list of podcast topics to discuss. Let me turn that into a Facebook post real quick. Maybe I'll save that in a swipe file, and I'll mention that in my next newsletter. Right? But it started with a one-on-one conversation. So early on, it's like, maybe you've got a spouse who's really supportive of you. And it's like, hey, what happened? What are you doing to grow the business? What's going on today? Your answer to that and how you talk to them is how you should start your approach to marketing. Always picture like one specific person and that's what's going to make it very authentic. You, early on entrepreneurs, they want to be big like Walmart and Target. And they're like, we and blah, blah, blah. Those brands are faceless. And that's why they have to hire spokespeople at great expense. And it's disingenuous. You as the entrepreneur could be one-on-one. You are the face of the brand and you can tell your real story. So just do that. You do you. 
that's what people want. They want that real, they want that real connection, right? Think of, it's the reason why I love podcasts. It's the reason why I love Instagram stories. Like we're all obsessed with this reality TV concept and, and it's all playing into marketing today. Okay. So the number one mistake that new Shopify store owners make is they don't build an audience first, but there's got to be something else in that bucket. Cause that's, that's a huge thing. They got to do it. So, okay. So you convinced me to start building audience, but what else? I'm sure there's other mistakes that people are making in the early days. All right. Once I've committed to, I'm going to build the audience. Then it's just, it's not putting in the work or it's not speaking in that genuine way. And I think the, so mistake number two then really is not telling your story, not working in public. Those are the things that are going to get people on your side. When they see that you're not just like, oh, I drove my Lamborghini to work and you're just lying, right? That's not going to win any favors. When you're like, hey, the struggle's real and this is what I'm doing, that is what's going to get people on your side because they can identify with it. And when you can talk about the pain and the problem that your product solves, okay, that's going to get it. I think the the other thing that people miss out on is not nailing their positioning. Like I know what the product is. I know what the pain it solves. I know what benefit or feature it has, but you need to be able to tell that in a really concise way. And that's where I think a positioning statement becomes the cornerstone of your marketing strategy and a ton of people just overlook it straight away. So you rattled off my positioning statement when you did the intro unknowingly. You said, Kurt Elster helps Shopify store owners uncover hidden profits in their store. Aha. So I had a friend who worked with a very famous business consultant and he called him up for their first call. And the guy said, tell me what you do. And after about 30 seconds, he cut him off and he said, that's too long. Call me back when you can tell me in 10 seconds or less. Click. And the guy was shocked. But he realized he was right. If I can't concisely tell you what I do, you're not going to remember it when you need whatever I offer. And you're certainly not going to remember to tell your friends. So knowing that is as important, having that concise explanation that defines this is what I offer, this is what I solve, and this is for who. So benefit audience and then maybe competitive advantage. Number one, you need to know that to really like laser focus and narrow your marketing. So I think having a niche and not going broad is very important, but it's equally as important for your audience to be able to see it and go, oh, okay, that sounds like me. That's for me. As opposed to like, if I have to spend any time at all trying to figure out, well, is this for me? What is this? They're not going to bother. They're just going to go back to Facebook. Right. I actually think you, if I can unpack you, Kurt, for a second, your branding is actually a masterclass in what you just said, because there's something very intentional. And this is, you know this because I'm talking to you, but this is more for our listeners, right? Which is like, there's something very intentional about you, Kurt, which is like, you are not the e-commerce expert, right? You are intentionally saying you have the unofficial Shopify podcast, right? You're saying Shopify expert. Your positioning statement is Shopify store owners. And I think that's something that a lot of marketers or entrepreneurs or small business owners or whoever make the mistake of, is they try to be everything to everyone and miss the exact person that you're really for. And so you, you have found a niche and it happens to be a niche that you can go very deep on. So it's perfect, but you've positioned yourself around Shopify. And so I think the challenge is you might have four or five, six products, but it's got to be one or two things or ideally one thing that you become known for to make it dead simple, right? And so I'll give you, I'm going to unpack a little bit of behind the scenes of what we're doing at Privy right now, which is, you know, me coming on here as, as a marketing person, it drives 
drives me nuts when people talk about Privy as, oh, that's the pop-up tool. No, because we have, we have multiple products and I'm trying to help the world see that. And so the, the thing that we're positioning the company around is e-commerce marketing, right? It's not just e-commerce. It's not pop-ups. It's actual e-commerce marketing. That's why we have the show. That's why we have everything. And so we're being very intentional about that. And so that's, that's one example from us. Your example is a powerful example. I think there's a great quote, which is that the risk of insult is the price of clarity. And so I think if you risk, people are often afraid of, well, if I don't say that, how are they going to know that we have that product? It's like, you're never going to get the opportunity to talk to them unless you can be specific enough to get their attention. So there's a definitely a lesson in how you've branded yourself. And I'm convinced that that was intentional on your end. Oh, 100%. So it started as, uh, the super short version was we went from like generalist web design agency to I realized the projects that are really successful, and you can start wide and then narrow down. It's, it's going to make your life harder, but it's what I did. So I can't tell you not to do it. I said, well, the projects we're most successful with are e-commerce. So let's just do e-commerce. And I was very intentional about it in that I ran the same landing page to several for several different e-commerce platforms. And so we got a chance to work on all these platforms. And after doing all that, the one where we were successful over and over and over and had the most fun, most importantly, where we felt good was with Shopify. We'd finish a Shopify project to go, well, that was easy. It wasn't that it was easy. It was that the platform was good and we were good at it. So it was a natural fit. So that's what you want to be looking for. Now, the pushback people always have against niching down is, oh, I got to cast a wide net. It'll make life easier. No, it won't. You're not a specialist. I mean, you're just a generalist. It makes it harder for them to remember you. And you really need to think about the scale here. So people are like, oh, Shopify. You only do Shopify. Is there enough work there? I work with eight to 12 clients at a time. There are 1 million merchants. I'm good. I promise. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. Like you're in a niche and you, you have to turn down business. And so, yeah, of course, if you're talking about, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a very specific product, you, you, you know, you can't be an idiot with it, right? You, you have to pick a niche where there's a real category to be had, but I think being intentional with, with who you serve is great. So I know people, everybody kind of has their own different positioning template, positioning framework. Do you have a positioning statement kind of mad libs that you like to coach people on? Yes, it would be Kurt Elster helps Shopify store owners uncover hidden profits in their store. So it's, it's like brand name helps target market benefit. And then unlike other Shopify experts, I'm solely concerned with return on investment. So then I've added the competitive advantage on there. Yeah. I love that. There's a great for, for anybody listening, there's a great classic book called Positioning by Al Reese and Jack Trout. It was written in, in the 80s and it's worth going and reading. It's probably like 150, 200 pages just to get a sense of like, they talk about how some of the classic brands position themselves and that I think they were really the first people to talk about positioning versus just trying to you know compete on features. So, okay, so build an audience, find a niche, be specific about who you're for. We're talking your story. a lot- Tell your story. Work in public, be, be yourself, be, be authentic. You work in public. I love work in public. That's like, that should be a t-shirt. Like do your work in public. Like, I'm sure it is. Like um, forget about doing marketing. The best marketing that you can do today is to show your work in public. And it's also the easiest because you don't have to think about what your marketing is. Record conversations, take videos, take pictures, like be you on every channel. So one question that I was going to ask that I, that I wrote down was in the topic of building an audience, Let's talk about the challenges of building an audience today because there's a gift and a curse, right? Which is 10 years ago, you basically could have a blog, a website, and an email list. Today, you can have a blog, a website, an email list, a YouTube channel, a podcast, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, 
events. There, there's so many channels. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs get caught up on like, Kurt, I understand I need to build an audience, but this menu of audiences looks like of places that I could do marketing looks like the menu at the Cheesecake Factory. Like where the heck do I start? <laughs> I'm a sucker for a Cheesecake Factory menu joke because that thing, <laughs> they slap it on the table. It's like a phone book. And the craziest part is for what is supposed to be an a somewhat upscale restaurant, it has ads in the menu. That's how big the thing is. <laughs> well, like, you know the restaurant's yeah, it's, good it's, when they've got everything on the menu. Well, you, you, could have a, you could have a burger, you could have a pizza, you could have pasta, you could have seafood, you could have Chinese. I don't. So in that world of marketing channels, how do, you, how do you know where to start? How do you know which channels to pick? Should you test them all? What the hell do you do? So that's a good question. I certainly would not try to master every channel. Let's just say you're going to spread yourself too thin and make yourself crazy. You can use marketing automation tools to cross post. And I think that, especially early on, is a good idea to get your feet wet. Because really like the same thing that works on Twitter, you could post to Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook page, group, whatever. So you've got that going for you. But what you'll find is the way the audience, the audiences are different across these platforms and the content they expect is different across these platforms. So you really got to find the one you're comfortable with. Like I'm very active on Twitter, but it's very much a B2B scenario. Like it's a lot of other marketers. My colleagues really is who I'm talking to there. So it's fun. And you know, I, you get that ego boost when it's like you log in and see, oh, I got 30 faves, but that doesn't necessarily move the needle on the business. So that's an, another thing to be aware of is social media. It could be seductive if you're able to get traction with your peers. And I think that's an early mistake a lot of people make is like they get into their own community where they're talking to the other people selling the same stuff as them as opposed to their customers. So that's an easy mistake, I think, to be aware of. But really, it's going to be, it's going to change so much depending on who your audience is, what kind of content you're comfortable creating, when you show up. I mean, I remember I asked Beef Brody from tacticalbabygear.com, Shopify merchant. And I asked him, well, how did you get, he's got a six-figure Instagram following. I said, how did you do it? He said, I started using Instagram before everybody else. I mean, that was it. It wasn't like he had some masterful plan. He just showed up early and was consistent with it. So that's a thing to consider. But I think the short answer is early on, experiment. And then once you find, like, you really want one or two channels that you really master and double down on those. So for me, it's like the podcast I get a lot of success with. Our Facebook group has a ton of engagement. I got 2,500 YouTube subscribers, which is like, that's not a lot. That's way harder than it sounds to do. YouTube's very difficult to get, get subscribers on. But I'll give you another good example. So my wife has a Disney planning blog. It runs on Shopify. It's mostly like affiliate marketing stuff. And it's called Double Your WDW. Real tongue twister there. She has the biggest audience on Instagram. The Instagram people are functionally worthless because it's just other like Disney community people. Whereas Facebook, her Facebook page, her Facebook group, those are her tribe. So I think the the distinction is to find your tribe, your audience, the people like you, and you're really not going to know which channel they're on until you try. But I think conversely, you you really got to, like when I wanted to do YouTube, I committed to, I'm going to post a video a week for six months. And I found, all right, I was able to get a thousand subscribers doing that. So, okay, there's something here. I think also the other thing you hinted at, which is like, you have to pick channels where you can be successful. And usually that starts with, 
channels that are natural and comfortable to you. And so yes. you're already in the podcast audio world. And so YouTube is a nice extension where if you've yeah. never made videos, don't say that my channel is going to be YouTube, where if you're good at writing short, witty things, and maybe Twitter is a great thing. If, if you like writing, start an email list. I think you also have to stack the deck on channels that you don't hate doing and you can be successful at. Yeah. Like I tried TikTok. I don't get it. I'm 37. I am too old for TikTok. It wasn't for me. <laughs> and with YouTube, I knew like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to get into video editing scared the hell out of me. So instead I said, I'm going to limit this format. So I defined the format for myself. I said, I'm going to, and I don't want to buy lighting. I don't want to deal with any of that. So I strapped my phone to the sun visor of my car and said, I can make a video in however long it takes me to drive from my house to the gas station. And then I can't leave my phone. It's got to get posted from the phone. In doing that, it worked. I mean, they're crappy videos, I think, yeah. but it got, it built an audience on YouTube. And then eventually, like, it got me interested in enough to it where now I've got the gear and I can edit video and it's, it's a great hobby and I love it. But ultimately, like, the podcast is the real, the real driver. But you don't know until you try. Right. And I think you got to try it for, like, realistically six months, possibly up to 12 months to figure it out. You also mentioned an important playbook, which is like, you didn't say, I'm going to do video, bought all the gear, made this big investment, then like had nowhere to do videos. Like that's such an important marketing playbook, which is like, that's your test and learn. You said like this iPhone and posting directly to YouTube is going to, that's going to, I'm going to stick to that. And that got you your first a thousand subscribers. And so from there you can then level up and now you can keep getting better and going bigger yep. where you, you've already proven success with basic iPhone stuff. Like you're going to be successful on YouTube. So like, if you want to get started with video, what's wonderful about living in 2020 is everybody has a smartphone and the video quality on smartphones is just extraordinary. So for me, it was literally like my tools were an iPhone and a pair of zip ties. Like I straight up zip tied my phone to my sun visor and drove around and that was it. Like there wasn't anything else to it. I love it. And also like the content trumps a lot of things. If you have something to say, you know, you can do all the cool editing and, you know, graphics and anything like, but if the content isn't good, just like if you don't have a good product, ultimately that that's what matters at the end of the day. And so yes. you obviously had something to say, people are going to listen. And even if it's just you talking into your phone, they're going to listen. The other thing that I think is important that we hadn't touched on yet is I also think that all social channels, advertising, all that thing is, all those things are great. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you need to build one or two channels that you can own. And so the heart, you know, the yes. podcast is great. Podcast is a great channel. Video is a great channel. But ultimately, like, I still think that email is the gold coin for, you know, any type of marketing. You still need that base, right? And that's whether that's SMS or sending emails, like you need that list that you can actively market to on demand. And that doesn't always happen through those other channels. Oh, 100%. Yeah, email is the one where you are in their inbox. And I've noticed that it's different when a channel is one-on-one -on -one versus public. Like email, that's a, it's one-to-many. But when the person replies, it becomes a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That's what I love about it. Interestingly, I found the same thing with Instagram stories. Because when someone replies to an IG story, it's just direct messages. You can have much more real, positive conversations with people and like really, really build genuine relationships through that channel. So there's some channels that lend themselves more toward relationship building, which that if you've got like a, an inexpensive product, it's going to help keep you top of mind. If you've got a higher end product, it's going to help build the trust required to pull the trigger on, you know, maybe buying a $300 item. Yeah, love it. Okay, I want to segue from channels to I want to go back and forth with a couple of do's and don'ts on specific channels. So just give me whatever's on the top of your mind when we talk about things. Okay, so let's talk about ads. Give me some quick do's and don'ts of ads. So for e-commerce specific, don't sleep on Google Shopping. Everybody I talked to, I said, you do Google Shopping. 
the majority of the time they say no, Google Shopping really feels like an untapped opportunity. And the big hurdle is it is a giant technical pain in the butt to set up. But once you do, it really is very low key to maintain. So don't, don't forget about Google Shopping, especially if it's like a high intent product. So you get very qualified traffic to your site with Google Shopping. And do you think that's going to become more important because of how Google is basically eating up search results where they're answering questions, you know, inside of Google? Is that why? You know, I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> I just know <laughs> our clients running Google Shopping have been very successful it. with it. Okay. And it, it has a, it's lower cost than say Facebook or Instagram ads. So if you've got like a more inexpensive item, it's going to make life easier. And then that also enables you to easily do display remarketing with Google. So that, that's, your, that's your don't for ads. What's a do? What's something you, you got to do? My do is for Facebook or Instagram ads, change up your ad creative as often as you can. We find like the one thing that separates the people who have consistently high return on ad spend with Facebook and IG ads versus those who were maybe it's like kind of it's mediocre or it starts to slip is how often they're changing that creative. So if you could change it twice a month, that new visuals, new headlines, and like always be testing and tuning, that's really going to make a lot of difference. There's also a bunch of great sites where you don't even need a creative team. There's a bunch of sites that you can get stock video footage, you know, clips and funny things that you can use for your ads that you don't have to like say, well, I don't know who's going to make these videos. There's some really good libraries out there. Yes. Okay. Email, email do's and don'ts. Ooh. Ooh. All right. I think the do is email more often than you think you should. Everyone is, especially everyone is scared. Well, I don't want to annoy people annoy them, they're barely paying attention to you. So it, this is just thing that happens. If I send an email once a week, that's not annoying and you're used to it and you're like, oh yeah, okay, I know this guy and maybe I'll open the email, maybe I won't, whatever. But if you email them even once a month, the chances are they may have forgotten and then mark you as spam. So you'll get better engagement with a weekly email versus a monthly email. So if you're scared of emailing your people, don't. Be personal, tell your story, like use this again as an opportunity to be yourself. Yeah. And let the numbers dictate, right? Try it, see what happens. If, if you do that for a month and your unsubscribes go through the roof, then you can, you can shut it down. Like you don't have to do it forever. All right. What's something that you should, was that your do or your don't? <laughs> my do is send more emails. <laughs> okay. What's your don't? What's your don't? I think my don't is don't exclusively do HTML emails. Plain text emails can be extremely effective, especially when it's like from the owner. So absolutely don't use exclusively HTML, try a mix, include plain text. Love that. That also matches back to what you said earlier about being yourself. Write an email like you're emailing your aunt and asking if you're going to come over this weekend. I think those emails work really well. All right. SMS. SMS still relatively new, but I know you have a bunch of experience and I've talked to a lot of people in the industry kind of doing some stuff. So what are your early do's and don'ts with SMS? Well, my do is treat it in a similar way to your email. Do this, like the flows that work in your email and those will work in SMS. So we've got several, a few brands using SMS. A lot of people are still spooked by it. They're scared of it. But the brands that are using SMS are seeing a 20x return on ad spend with it. So take a segment of your most, those SMS people, they're going to be your most engaged people. And so they want to hear from you. Like they understand what they're committing to when they sign up for SMS. And the stuff that works well is like time box stuff. So, hey, we've got a limited edition grab bag sale today only. So that kind of like flash sale urgency stuff works well with SMS. So do try SMS if you're scared of it. Do use time box stuff like flash sales or expiring coupons. And do try things similar to your email flows that you do already. For the don'ts with SMS, it's really just like stay legal with it. And for the most stay part, legal, the stay compliant. Yeah. Stay compliant. Compliance is the word I was looking for. Yeah. I think uh, the, other, the other thing I've the heard, the other thing I've heard you talk about 
Well, another thing I've heard you talk about is like, or at least guests on your show have talked about is like, remember though, that the rules of good marketing still apply to SMS and that if you only use SMS to be like, boom, we got a sale, boom, we got a discount, boom, we got a sale. You still should be using the channel as a way to build relationships with your audience, not just using it as a flash sale channel. For sure. Yeah. Announcing new content, especially checking in with people because similar to email, what's cool about SMS is with most of these apps, when they reply, you can then have like a a support agent or you do a one-on-one conversation with that person. Okay, last one. Give me some do's or don'ts for on-site conversion, pop-ups, display, stuff. Like specific to pop-ups? Yeah. Okay. So I found free gift with purchase is a phenomenal offer. That tends to to work very well. You got to have, there's two pop-ups you have to have a welcome pop-up that ideally triggered on scroll seems to work really well. So test that and make sure you've got an exit intent pop-up. So like bare minimum, I want to see two pop-ups, a welcome, probably scroll and an exit. And then it's up to you to decide what those offers are. But free gift with purchase is my current favorite for a welcome pop-up for exit intent. uh, You know, probably just, you know, a typical like a discount. So free gift with purchase would be as a welcome pop-up would be you put your email in. If you end up purchasing something during that session, you would get a free gift. Yeah. So uh, as an example, Recycle Firefighter, Jake Starr is a, a friend of mine, a client who sells wallets made of recycled fire hose. And so as a welcome pop-up, we go, hey, enter your email and we'll give you a coupon code for a free, it's like a silicone band. That's part of, it's like the ultra minimalist wallet. It's basically a rubber band. But we say, hey, you get this free if you buy a wallet. And really it's just like, it's a coupon code. You get this item free if you spend over 20 bucks. And that that has performed really well for him. Okay, I love it. That's great. I think that we got to edit that out. That alone is going to be like a hard hitting segment with you. Don't worry about it. Okay, we're going to start to wrap up because you got to go. I got to go. We got stuff to do, but this has been great. So I want to know if you're coaching me, if I hired you as my like e-commerce, you know, Shopify coach, what are the metrics that you would want me to report back to you on? Like if I said, hey, I'm going to go do this stuff. You're like, all right, Dave, have fun. Here's what I, I want you to send me a weekly report with these numbers in it so I can know how you're doing. Like what would be in that dashboard that you'd want me to send you? All right, I'll tell you, I want to know daily average traffic rolling over, if it was like a weekly report, rolling over the last week. And the reason is I want to see like a bare minimum. So if you're starting at zero, when you get to 150 visitors a day average over 30 days, that's going to tell you, okay, I'm getting traction in the marketplace. Once you get there, it's just a matter of scaling it. So if I can get to 150, you can get to 500. If you get to 500, you can get to 1500. Okay, 1500 average a day for a lot of brands is a really great place to be. That's where like past that, now we're getting into scaling issues and we really got to uh, think about our systems and processes. I want to know your return customer rate. That's a really good metric for judging customer satisfaction, efficacy of the post-purchase experience. When I see a return customer rate under 20%, I'm like, ooh, there may be a customer service issue here, or they're just not doing enough to keep in touch with people. So, you know, I'm out, when I look at these stats, I'm reading the tea leaves somewhat, but I'm also looking for, you know, what's the revenue lever? What's the growth lever? What's the one metric we could focus on for a month that's going to really move the needle on this business over the rest of the year? And sometimes it's that return customer rate. So the highest end would be 50% would be a consumable good like coffee. But if I can get you know, 25% good, 30% great, 35, 40% amazing. So that's a, that's a good one. To and just then is that, is that of all purchases, how many people came back and made and had another purchase? Is that within a certain time frame? Yeah. It's, you know, I don't know how Shopify defines the time frame, but it's whoever made two or more purchases. 
Got it. And I love that you suggested that because that speaks to like the power and the, and the value of marketing, right? The thing that's going to get somebody to come back for that second, third, fourth, whatever purchase is building a relationship and that's through marketing. And especially when you're acquiring customers with pay-per-click, with Facebook ads, where I'm paying to play, I'm buying traffic from the traffic store, those repeat purchases, extending that customer lifetime value is going to be really important to having a healthy revenue channel, turning those PPC channels into healthy revenue channels. Conversion rate's important, but I'm also just, I'm very interested in add to cart rate. I use add to cart rate as an indicator of quality of traffic and how easy is it to find a product on the site. So one truth we found is if you could send someone to a homepage, say they search the brand data up on the homepage, the faster, if you can get them to start shopping, they become significantly more likely to purchase. And add to cart rate can be an indicator of that. So I want to see ideally about a 10% add to cart rate. And if I see that, well, that often translates to in an unoptimized store, a two and a half percent conversion rate would be, you know, for most brands, quite excellent. And then lastly, average order value. That's one where it's like every other metric can remain exactly the same, but a 10% bump in average order value means a 10% bump in total revenue. So if you just, if you're looking, if everything else is solid and you want to scale quickly, getting that average order value up could be the way to do it. So traffic, return customer rate, conversion rate, average order value. Add to cart rate. Add conversion rate's rate. important, but like conversion add rate, I, rate, yeah. Love it. That shows you where the leaks in the funnel would be anyway. Love it. Yes. Okay, last question. We're going to wrap up. The, here's the hard part. Rule number one of interviewing and public speaking is never ask a question that you don't really know the answer to, but I'm going to do it anyway because I, I feel good about it. So I'm the new CMO at Privy. You know the company. You know Ben, our CEO, my boss. What is, if you were me, what's one thing that you think that I should be thinking about that we should be thinking about as a brand in this space in 2020? What are the opportunities? I want to know your honest take. Well, the answer, I mean, I think you know the answer is number one is value creation. It's how do you create value in a democratic way? So it's not just create, it's create value for privy. It's create value for the merchant, but it's also create value for the customer who's seeing it. So if, you know, like the cart saver is such a great feature. I think that's, that's unique to Privy. The cart saver pop-up, that provides a ton of value to the customer and to the merchant. And then because it's unique, it adds value back to Privy itself. So that tends to be how I think of things. You want to give more value than you take. Love it. That is marketing, right? You know, give, 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 and then you get to ask for something eventually later. Okay, Kurt, this was awesome. I'm excited to get to know you a bit more in in this space, but you schooled me. I've been taking notes the whole time and I I can't wait to turn this into something. So go and listen to Kurt's show. If you aren't already, you can find it everywhere you get your podcasts. It's unofficial Shopify podcast. Also, he has a nice little podcast site, unofficial Shopify podcast.com. You should go to check out. He is at Kurt Inc. everywhere on Twitter. I'm Dave Gerhardt. I will talk to you on another episode. Kurt, have an awesome rest of your day and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks. My pleasure. All right. See ya.